0: Thank you.
1: Welcome to Podcasts and Players. I'm very excited to introduce a uh, guest that I've wanted to have on the podcast for a long, long time. You've all been begging me on your hands and he's, please, please get him on the podcast. He is responsible for the cold road. He's responsible for the animated spellbook, and recently the videos about retraining your dice. Please welcome Z. Bashu. Ah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. welcome. It's nice to have you here. Thanks. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to be here. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I do have... So, yes, I have a couple questions. Okay. We've already talked about this we did. In, in, many times before. Yes, uh, recently. So, <laughs> yeah, very recently, yeah. you could say. So maybe with a little bit of practice, yeah. we could just kind of breeze through them now. I uh, think so. First question, how'd you get into animation?
0: I got into animation... Because, uh, I wanted to go into comic books and then, uh, the comic book industry died. <laughs> it's
1: like a quiz. Like, all right, answer one. Yeah. No, Show I mean, your work. That, <laughs> but
0: that's it. Like, cause you know, back in the day I learned how to draw, uh, from how to draw comics the Marvel way with, uh, Stan mm-hmm. Lee and John Buscema. Um, with all that heavy inking and contrast y- and big muscular dudes yeah, yeah. well i mean the, the the thing is like i i kind of uh i went to art school and i was like this is just that video again that i used to rent over and over from the library um yeah and uh so i have a special place in my heart for that video man like the and the the like the music is all all weirdly compressed the way that anything that was made in the, like, 80s. <laughs> I think it might even be in 70s. I don't know. Wow. Um, but it's like, mm-hmm. you know, like, it sounds all fucked up. And it's like, and anything It'll that you work, can find yeah. out will be, like, captured from a VHS. Um, but anyway, so I learned how to draw that way. And uh, all the kids in school were like, oh, you know, well, Okay. I felt like they thought what I was doing was cool, and then it kind of became, you know, my identity, as it does for most artists. Yeah, and then right, I, I know that. Yeah, and then the industry that I wanted to go into eroded away into nothing, and I switched over to animation because of the because the animation boom was going on. We're basically a bunch of animators were like, lawyering up and getting competing bids from. Dreamworks and Disney until like people were getting million dollar contracts, um, all kinds of stuff. And, uh, and so it looked like, oh, this is the industry to go into. And I was in a whole kind of crop of new students that went into that industry. I think half because of that and half because of like adult swim started showing Cowboy Bebop. I think those are those are like the two reasons that everybody went into animation when I went into animation um and yeah, uh
1: that's that's a good
0: point I got I got real I got super into anime I got really really into it um and then I went to school pretty early actually uh this whole weird thing happened where I you know what <laughs> this is an interview, so I'm going to go I'm going to go down these rabbit holes. Uh, But basically, go for it. uh, I got pulled out of school, then went back into school then pulled out of school and then went back into school. And then the high school, I think like something went wrong with my records. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wanted to get a GED early. So because I just didn't like I didn't like school. Um, and there was, a, there was some sort of, there's some, there were some mix ups at the high school that made it possible for me to kind of fall through the cracks and get a GED early and then get, uh, you know, seduced by a predatory, uh, private school, oh. uh, private college, uh, which they were, I mean, if I think back to what, cause I was like 16 when they were like. Yeah, come to this school for sure. You're definitely going to get placement. And then later they lost accreditation. Um, I actually left the school because I, I, while I was there, I started to feel like, I think this place is, I think this place is bullshit. I guess Yeah. yeah. Um, there were some really good teachers there. Uh, but, uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, they lost their accreditation for a reason. Anyway, so uh, then I got out of that school went to another school for ages and ages. Uh, and then, yeah, I eventually got into the, I eventually got into the industry, but it was way after the boom. I mean, that, that's the problem with like, if something is working right now, by the time you train in it, it's not, it's probably not going to be, you know what I mean? Like all those people out there who are like, I'm going to learn how to make AIs. I don't know. We'll see.
1: (laughs) We'll yeah, see. Maybe.
0: <laughs> I mean, well, I don't know. That's actually probably a bad example because that's feels like it's going to be around forever. But uh...
1: yeah, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying because, like, you're trying to ride a wave, but like, but yeah, if you learn to surf, the wave has already crested and hit the shore. Yeah, and right now it's calm waters. Oh, totally and you're sitting there with a bunch of other new surfers. Like, I thought there were waves. What happened? Yeah,
0: you know, I saw a wave earlier. I want to ride that wave. Well, that's, I mean, that's the nature of entropy. I, I
1: don't know. Well, <laughs> I think, th- though, I think that if you, to kind of run this metaphor straight into the ground, yeah. uh, if you wait long enough, another wave will come. Yeah. As long as, and you can, yes. it's up to you. The only thing you can control, you can't control when the waves come, but you can control how good you are at surfing, right? Like, I feel like that's an important thing lesson is you can control what you can do but you can't control what happens around you so if you're just kind of keep your ear to the ground and like try to figure out where you're gonna be needed in the future yeah you might catch another wave there's no guarantee but like that's i think the best way to
0: go about it i think that's true well i think that that's a useful falsehood (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i mean like i think like, it gives us hope that we have control over something um <laughs> you only
1: have control over what you can do yeah and that's it that's all you have control over and even then some people don't have complete control over that no it's like uh and and like i i agree i'm not actually taken aback by the falsehoods comment because i do think it's like have you ever watched uh secondhand lions with robert duvall and michael Caine? And Haley uh, Joel Osment? No. I have okay. not. It's a very good movie. Uh, it's about these two old brothers living out in Texas in the 1950s. And then they've got... a bu- they've, They're said to be rich. They've got, like, a bunch of money s- hidden away somewhere. Yeah. So, like, extended family is always coming over and visiting with their kids and, like, trying to, like, get in the will so when they die they can get all their money. Yeah. And the uh, Haley Joel Osment, who was in the Sixth Sense, he's the kid... He is sent there by his kind of liar of a mom who's, like, always kind of grifting from one place to the other to, like, make a quick buck. And she's like, go ahead and get their money. And he's just, like, a depressed kid. And so these two uncles don't know what to do with him. But by the end of the movie, they get, like, a really close relationship. Because he's, like, genuine. He's not actually trying to do anything. In fact, he tries to run away. And they're like, we got to actually, like, make sure he doesn't get killed or something. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um. And there's a, a speech that Robert Duvall gives to him. It says, uh, what, uh, what you need to know about being... What every boy needs to know about being a man or something. Okay, speech. sure, yeah. And it's like, I, I think that you need to hear a piece of the speech. And one of the Whip. things he said, it's always resonated with <laughs> yeah. me, was that we believe in things like true love and that good always triumphs over evil, not because those things are true. But because we have to believe in them, because those are the things worth believing in. And I'm like, oh. yeah, that's how I feel about the, the thing I just said. <laughs> that's how I feel like, about animation. It's the, <laughs> yeah, it's it's worth believing in. Yuck. And it's like, you know, if, if Dogecoin is any indication, belief can make things real. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Even for an instant, even for just a moment. So... I'm going to keep that's how that's how I kind of look at a lot of stuff. It's like I know it's not necessarily true, but I try
0: to be an optimist. No, I think that, that that's I think that's definitely Yeah. I I agree with the sentiment of like believing things that make that maybe upon a ton of scrutiny but the thing is anything under enough scrutiny falls apart. Um which is why, you know, you get <laughs> people people, you know, you can just keep ripping it apart until um you know nothing is real yeah at a certain point it doesn't matter anymore. yeah what is free will where do thoughts yeah. come from everything um, degrades into nihilism if you go deep enough yeah it's like, let's i, not even I used to i used to kind of that was my position because it was the only defensible one um i i not not in a real way but definitely in like a devil's advocate way right it's a, which I do a lot less now. Um, I think, uh, you know, being being contrarian is... Uh, I, it's not a great it's, way to spend time.
1: <laughs> it's annoying to a lot of people around you if you're contrarian. Also, you're not actually learning anything. You're just no. trying to, like, ruffle feathers or... Like, I, I guess, wait, well, it depends, okay, yeah. I suppose. If you're, like... Yeah, you know what, when you're someone's speaking... someone's so deep in their bubble... And they don't consider other worldviews. Yeah. Then being Katrine could try to open them up a little bit, right? That's that's one way to look at it. But if you're doing that for every conversation, yeah. like,
0: yeah, no, well, it's like um, it can be it can be fun if everybody in the conversation is up for it. But yeah, that too. But I think uh, it can be a real grind if they aren't. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, I, it, it all it all depends. We're getting very
1: philosophical, right? I'll, I'll we, did, we did, yeah. It's like, how did you get started animation? And now we're talking <laughs> 11 about... 11 minutes like, in, we're belief. talking about
0: nihilism. Um, or nihilism? I don't know how <laughs> you're supposed to say it. That's like I yeah. was in a meeting once, a very important meeting, and a mm-hmm. dude kept saying Debris. And so so confidently that I started... After the meeting, I, like taught, I leaned over to one of my friends, and I was like, is it Debris? i feel like it's debris um anyway oh oh debris <laughs> yeah i was like, like what is debris? i've never
1: heard so of if that you i go, spelled that out go around this, like, this oh. corner
0: you can knock loose some of the debris oh uh-huh it's part of the puzzle you know okay <laughs>
1: <laughs> i mean confidence goes a long way I guess. speaking of nihilism yeah. let's get into our next question what led you to starting a channel on YouTube?
0: <laughs> oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. What led me to starting a channel on YouTube? I'll go real fast at the beginning and then, then I'll okay. ease into a kind of. So, um, I had a project that I was very, very excited about drift out of my reach. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. And then I was, it, yeah. I was really depressed about it. So uh, I was living in Vietnam with my wife mm-hmm. and I was basically doing commercial work online and I saw a preview for the C-Team's new show or the C-Team, which is, excuse me, I'm going to... The Acquisition wait. Incorporated is the new show at the time. Yes, it was Acquisition Incorporated's new show at the time. Yeah. And I'm a really big uh, Penny Arcade fan. Um, Like the thing that happens. okay, the thing that happens, I think. um, Is that when you do a lot of drawing or animating or any sort of uh, any sort of art field where your mind is basically like screaming with boredom, but you have to do a lot of, um, I want to say digital work, but I mean like with your fingers, with your digits, right? You need to, you need to keep your, your forebrain busy. Well, you don't, you actually probably shouldn't. I mean, according to Richard Williams, you shouldn't at all, but I fucking listen to, I listen to podcasts, right? So, uh, some of the first people that I, I kind of listened to where um uh Jerry Holkins and Mike Krahulik in the DLC podcast. And then also the uh Web Comics Weekly guys, um, because still I had I had in my heart a fondness for comics. Um and it seemed like again, it was one of those things where I was like, fuck, actually, I could have just stayed in comics and then made a web and anyway, which at the time, seemed like a reasonable position, but actually, wasn't a lot. Of, uh, there was a web comics boom too, and it's over. I think. I don't know. I'm sorry if you're working on a web comic, but
1: <laughs> but uh, I think yeah, everybody's... it
0: depends. It depends where you're at and what you're making. But look, there's a few amazing ones that are that are going and like doing really really well. Mm-hmm. Um, But people are more and more hesitant to leave their social media platform and go into the wild internet and, you know, view your, your web page and, yeah. and and tap the next button. People don't really want to... I mean, I don't want to do that. And I love comics. Um, but anyways, okay. Jesus. Uh, how you started your YouTube channel? <laughs> yeah! <laughs> I, I promised a... a a, a quick beginning and instead just gave you this no, weird you slowed down, winding... quick
1: beginning and you've slowed down. That's, that's, yeah. I slowed down
0: quicker than I expected, <laughs> but okay. So anyways, so these were the things that I was listening to all the time. I was listening to acquisitions incorporated Webcomics weekly, the, uh, Penny arcade DLC podcast. And, when I listen to um, Acquisitions Incorporated, I used to always think like, oh, man, it would be awesome to animate this because it's so funny. It's got this like really specific texture to it and pacing to it, which isn't normal um, when you think of like story structure, which is part part of the reason why there's a huge sort of like actual play boom now is because you can't you can't predict it just like like in a normal series you see three scenes in, you're like that guy did it um yeah. and then the rest of the, it, it's like uh, they didn't talk to him very long but they showed him just long enough that he's he's the you know human equivalent of Chekhov's gun there's no reason that the scene would have been whereas you know role-playing games it's just like a bunch of scenes that have no rhyme or reason and then they yeah. kind of gently weave back together at the end or they don't um Which I thought was like, oh, man, I'm going to animate that. Um, And I even tried a few times. I like ripped audio from Acquisitions Incorporated and I would like I would do, you know, start to animate something. But I didn't know how to deal with the in-between sections because Acquisitions Incorporated, for the most part, wasn't live play at that point. It was just it was audio only.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Anyway, so. Then I never did that. And then I was on Twitter, I think, and I saw a preview for the C-Team, which was Acquisitions Incorporated's new show. And I was so horrified that they had animated Acquisitions Incorporated um, and that I had taken too long and that there was no way that I was ever going to go back into the past and jump on this in time, (laughs) Um, that I was just even more devastated. Like it like I was already depressed because I lost that project, and then I saw the Acquisitions Incorporated thing, and I was like, "Fuck, man, everything sucks." And then I, I watched the first episode live on Twitch, and I realized that the animated bit was just the beginning. Chris Straub had done an animated intro, um, yeah. where he and Jerry Holkins like did a rap over top of it, which is actually like a really cool. Rap. I don't know. I don't know how to refer to this without sounding like <laughs> it's I'm a, 70. It's a, rap. it's a really cool rap. But anyway, so then start. you know, I watched the show. And as I was watching, there was a scene in there which was so beautifully paced. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to animate this scene. This is like I, I had this thing t- torn away from me. And now I can, I can grab it back. So um, I went, I admittedly, I, in order to keep it consistent with the style set, I was like, I'll just use Straub's designs because um, it's fan art. You know, they're probably not going to mind, um, which I hope he didn't. If he did, he never told think, me. Yeah, I don't think they'd mind. But uh, and I animated this this little sequence. And then, you know, Jerry Holkins, my Internet God, retweeted it and I was like oh wow direct contact with the penny arcade guys the Pax (laughs) guys I'll never wash
1: this tablet again
0: (laughs) yeah no exactly I mean and I was like this is amazing and I didn't have any freelance on so I was like I'm gonna do it again next week so I did and then it got retweeted by the whole crew actually of the c-team um and then I was like Okay, and I used to do. The, I would call it riding the wave, which is like, if if somebody really big retweets a video of yours, you're you get a a little sample of. I don't want to say fame, but something similar to it, uh, of being known, for about three hours. You get about three hours where your' your like your phone lights up like a fucking Christmas tree, and people are suddenly looking at your work and they're interacting with your work directly and with you directly, and it feels like Holy shit, I'm not in obscurity anymore. And then at the on the fourth hour, you just like boom, 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 back back into the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> back to the shadow realm. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, man, this fucking kicks ass. Um, and I just kept doing it week after week. I kept making C team shorts. And then the Penny Arcade people, I think Ryan uh from Penny Arcade reached out to me directly Ryan Hartman I hope I don't fuck up his name I I don't watch Acquisitions Incorporated so (laughs) I can't correct you on any of this unfortunately yeah so he and I think Alyssa Grant I don't I'm not as good with the last names but Alyssa um, reached out and they were like hey do you want to animate recaps and also can we use your stuff on our uh, on our streams and I was like Yeah, definitely. I want to animate recaps. And also, of course you can, but I have this condition, which is I want you to start a playlist on your YouTube channel with my YouTube videos on it of the C-Team. And so... I basically then took all of the videos that I'd made for Twitter. I also did the recaps, which are really cool. And you can find them online. Mm-hmm. Um, I still, excuse me. I still like them. Um, I don't know. Why I'm burping so much in this. And it's anyway, coffee. I, I you, you said you're drinking coffee, right? I was. Yeah. But I mean, I guess I don't talk that much after. No, I do. I don't. Burp, not, I don't know why. I had a little sauerkraut. Maybe that's it. All Maybe right. That's um, but uh what the fuck was I talking Oh anyway yeah so I said you got to host you got to host my videos on your YouTube channel and I'll do it for free and they were like ah, we really do want to pay you and then I was like I will do it for free just host my my videos on your channel and they were like we really want to pay you though and I was like okay and then they came back with an amount of money right um but that amount didn't end up in, in fact, that amount complicated things. It, sometimes it's easier to do something for free because you're not, you're not constantly tallying like, oh my God, oh my God, what is my hourly rate on this? Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause I, I'd gone from, I'd gone from like doing corporate advertising, um, and doing a lot of animation for like TV and web or whatever. Right. And they pay well. They pay well because it's um, soul crushing, but they pay so well. And so then I was like, man, is this the direction my career is going in where I'm like making fucking God knows what, probably like $2.50 an hour. And part of that was because I was, I was obsessed with Acquisitions Incorporated and obsessed with the C team and Loved like I I had so much love for it. You didn't really want
1: money, like muddying the waters. Is that is that what I'm
0: kind of hearing? Or well, no, I mean they paid me. um, Yeah, but in the end, it almost it was almost because in my head I was like, yeah, okay, I could probably do one of these in a week. But then when I was actually working for them, and you know. Jerry fucking Holkins is make, is doing VO for, for, we're doing VO sessions together oh and God. like he's, <laughs> he's, you know, and I'm like, I'm such a fan of, of these people mm-hmm. that I started to like zone in on it and do too much. It, I mean, each one of the recaps took me almost a month, right? And we had priced it out where the price would have made sense if it took me a week. I see. Right. Yeah. Um, and even then, <laughs> like, and and we thought I could do it in a week because I'd been doing these other shorts in like a day. Right. Like they they would you know. But the problem is, and and you'll you know this about animation is the longer something gets, weirdly, the longer it it like it's it's like a pyramid cost right where it's like something okay. Let's say that time is is a is a unit like. Footage time, right? Mm-hmm. To do one footage, I don't want to say specific numbers. <laughs> takes one time to do two footage takes three time. Three time. Yeah, do, yeah, it's yeah. So it just yeah, it's this awful compounding monster. And the other thing was they were four hour streams, and in addition to animating, I was also editing everything down first so that would take Mm. almost a week to take four hours and turn it into three four minutes right and then anyways i mean listen i don't want to give the impression that this was ever bad for me it was always amazing but it also wasn't something that i could do forever in perpetuity yeah because in at, at the end it's just like Which is part of the reason, which even when I was asking to do it for free, I was like, obviously, you know, I probably can't do this uh, forever. But anyway, I had been doing this for a really long time. I uploaded those videos to YouTube. Those were kind of some of the first like animated videos that I put up on YouTube besides tests and just bullshit, you know, associated Mm -hmm. with your Google account. I had worked for some other new media companies in the past, but that's a whole Separate long story. We're talking about the my successful attempt at, <laughs> at starting a YouTube. We not
1: talking about those failed attempts before, right? Yeah. Oh,
0: by the <laughs> way, that's the other thing is there were a lot, you know. So
1: that's that's good for people to hear who like have tried to get into content creation and then they're like, "Why is no one looking at my stuff? I worked really hard on it." And it's like, "Yeah, sorry, that people just won't. Don't do it for that reason." like no yeah. it's great when people do no one wants to scream into a void when they've like got sure. this art that they worked really hard on we want eyes on it of course but like yeah at the end of the day you got to be okay with nobody seeing your stuff and maybe no one ever seeing your stuff like make it for you at the end of the day you know
0: yeah no fully i mean i think yeah when i started doing the c-team stuff i think i had about i already had about 500 maybe 700 subs on my channel like not a lot of people I used to I really all I used to do is stream on the channel when I made work for some some other stuff but oh my god that's a whole separate thing it'll take forever yeah to talk okay about this. So, can
1: of worms but you yeah. you got your your youtube videos on youtube of the yes.
0: c-team stuff then what happened then I was like, man, these fucking C-Team videos are great, but they take so much effort and it's this mounting level of effort. And I also um, I had a job come through, an advertising job that was going to make me quite a bit of money um, through a friend. And the contract for the job was so predatory I just remember, like, I was reading the contract and I was just like, it had some clause in it, which if interpreted the correct way would mean that all of the work that I was doing on YouTube and on my own IPs would technically maybe be under their ownership. Um, I don't think that would ever hold up in court, but I also don't, you know, I didn't have enough money for a, to find out. Right. Right. Um, And I was kind of talking about this. I think I tweeted something about it or I can't even remember, but it ended up getting me in contact with Corey Cassoni, who is uh, Scott Kurtz's business manager. Scott Kurtz is another uh, web cartoonist. And Corey agreed to jump on a call with me because he sort of he understands contracts and stuff like that. And he basically was I was walking him through the contract and then he looked at my stuff and he said, well, you know what, man? Um, the contract, it, I mean, it, it would be bad, but you're not a creator. So you don't have anything to worry about. And I was like, yeah, I guess you're right. I'm not a creator. Fuck. Fuck. I haven't created anything. Aww. I'm just doing fucking fan shit, actually. Um, I mean, he that wasn't his intent at all. Right. right? But it, it the, was the, like. The fact that. Yeah. It, yeah. The fact that it wasn't his intent to to say that in that way made it even more truthful in a sense, because I was like, oh, shit, I'm actually not really making anything that's wholly owned by me anyway. What what he meant was like, you know, whatever I'm making is owned by other companies. So it would be the same as like, you know, doing different advertising contracts. Uh, And he was like, you should sign the contract. And I was like, "Okay, thank you. And then I was like, I got off the phone with him. I was like, I'm not signing a contract and I'm going to start making my own shit. Um, So then I did and I was like, and, and I'm going to make my own shit that doesn't take that long to do. So I did the first animated spell book and I released it the same day as another C-Team short. And the first animated spell book crushed um, in terms of views. And the new C-Team short did okay. Which one was the first
1: animated spell book?
0: It's gone now. Oh, but it was on spellbooks. Oh, okay. And uh... literally an anime, and it was just yeah, box. it was just like how spell slots and spellbooks work, and it was completely wrong. Everything uh, in the video was wrong. Oh, I see. Okay, I gotcha. That's why. Yeah, it's gone. I mean, it, it was so it was completely wrong. But the, the and and people in the comments were like, well, actually, and then they were right though. But they it were also like hundred engagement
1: <laughs> got you a lot. Of- I, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's fair, and. I have to say though they were right. And also at the beginning of me releasing my videos, I used to try and find the corrections in the comments that were stated in a really like cool way. And I would those would be my pin comments on those older videos a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Which I don't really do as much anymore because I don't make mistakes anymore. No, I do. I make I, there's a mistake in every video. Yeah. That's that's your little easter egg for here whether that mistake is like something i say or something that's shown on screen that isn't 100% gameplay accurate whether you're talking about like oh that's not 6 seconds or there's all kinds of little anyway when there's enough eyes on whatever uh i mean i try so hard to not make these mistakes and every <laughs> not every video but but I'll be really proud of a video we get it out the front door. I'm like, yes, it's done, and it was it was hellish to make, but it's a masterpiece. And then I don't even get to peace before somebody's like, actually, um, um, this actually
1: is- <laughs> uh, pushes glasses up bridge of nose, snorts, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and starts furiously typing on the keyboard, breathing well, heavily. Yeah. Uh,
0: I mean, if if I'm honest, it's not even that. It's usually somebody <laughs> being like, I know this is kind of a bummer but um it seems like you may have misread uh, section b and i know it's weird because it's in two different yeah, sections yeah. but it does seem like i i hate to break it to you but <laughs> and then it's some huge problem or mm-hmm. usually actually it's it's somebody going some <laughs> it looks like you didn't see the sage advice on this and i'm like there's sage advice on this too fuck yeah Mm.
1: i i I also want to say like i'm poking fun at rules lawyers but i myself am a bit of a rules lawyer from a player standpoint uh because i play so many games i kind of know what i can get away with and i know like how a lot of rules are written but that's not always how the rules are uh, implemented for example magic missile weirdest spell in the book yeah completely weird. It's not a spell attack. There's no attack roll. You can't crit on it. There's no yeah. save either. So there's nothing anything that affects saves doesn't affect this. It just deals damage and it deals it simultaneously to either one target or multiple targets depending on what you decide to do with it. Yeah. So like if you're an Evocation wizard and you've got something like in Power Divocation, we get to add to a Wizard Evocation spell your intelligence modifier to the damage. One damage roll says, well, what do you do with Magic Missile? Do you treat it like a fireball where you roll the damage once, add it, and then that's every dart? Or do you roll the damage for each dart? Right? Everybody does it a little differently. And that was something that, like, recently I, I had to ask a DM about. I was like, Hey, there's a character I might want to play. I want to do like uh-huh. an evocationist, but um, if I do this, I gotta know how magic missile works because if if you let me roll once and then I add my five intelligence to that, and then every dart's dealing an extra five damage. If you're making me roll separate, only one dart deals an
0: extra five damage, and it's a lot less usable, right? Yeah, I, I can't confidently this see this is the this is the result. I cannot mm-hmm. confidently comment on that while being recorded, right?
1: The guy was like, well, this is
0: written, and also
1: Jeremy Crawford said in a tweet that this is how it works, but also, like, I yeah. have DMs that were like, no, that's bullshit, it doesn't work that way. I'm like, alright, you're the DM. Yeah. I can't, like, when it's a DM's call. Yeah, it's always especially a DM's if call. Especially it's, if it's, yeah. I mean, if it's, like, deliberately against what the spell says, right? Yeah. Sometimes that can get a little bit, like, but... Okay, well, then can I take another spell since you're not going to play it the way that it says it's written right? But if it's like on the fence, where it's like, you know, or it's like an exceptional situation, grease, for example, setting it on fire doesn't say it in the spell, but most DMs rule, yeah, it's grease, so you would reasonably be able to set that on fire. You know what I mean? Interesting.
0: Yeah, I mean, a lot of DMs do rule that way. I think that the official position is not necessarily. Yeah. Um but also is that fun? Um I don't know. I don't know. I, I th- it all all depends. Yeah.
1: Like for example conjuring animals. It says the DM ter- determines what animals you
0: conjure. Same with well, fae and all those other conjure spells. It says it says well, no, no, no. It says something no? very specific. Okay. Um which I'm really I'm scared that. I'm going to misquote, but it says something along the lines of the DM has the statistics of the animals that you conjure or they have the stats of the animal you conjure look it up on dnd beyond now. i will
1: i'm gonna look it up right now actually now that we're talking about it and i'm like because i asked uh my dm recently like hey conjure yeah. fey do we choose or is it a random assortment because the way that it's worded it seems like it would be random um, and maybe contrapé has a different wording. I'll, I'll look that up. Well, so beings,
0: so yeah. Yeah. what? What Watsi I think has said is that the intent is that the DM chooses, but also you're right. Yeah, but also the fact that they, <laughs> they when they use that language, that's also usually if, usually when Watsi says the intent is this, it kind of means that they're saying like you could interpret it. The other way, but like this is what we meant. That is weird wording. Yeah, no, it's weird wording. <laughs> I Listen, I'm not saying I'm not saying that you're wrong if you say that the DM chooses. Um, I think I just misremembered, honestly. Well, no, no, no. I, I, what I'm, I mean, though, like people who rule, like, no, the DM chooses the animals. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense because then you can prevent, um, the you know, fucking Jurassic Park build. <laughs> which is broken really. So in that sense, you know, it, it's it's good to have some vague stuff sometimes because it does give yeah. the dm a little play where you're like, "Ah, eh, well, I think this." Right, yeah. But I mean something like magic missile for instance, how many concentration checks does it cause? Zero. Why? It's instantaneous. You just cast it. No, no, it no. It I happens. mean when it hits people Imagine that you unload all your magic missiles on one caster. Okay. The question is, how many sources of damage are we talking about? If something can target multiple creatures, does that make it a single source of damage? Yeah. Or are we talking about the spell as a source of damage? I
1: I think it's a single source because everything hits simultaneously. It's not like uh, Eldritch Blast where you get multiple attacks. So you could like Eldritch Blast one person... And if they're still up, use your second blast on them. Oh, they died? Well, I have a third blast. I'll send it over this way. Oh, wait, sure, sorry. So you if misspoke, somebody, they're still if, up? Well, I'm going to send it this way instead. You know what I mean? So
0: if somebody hits... Okay, <clears throat> so if somebody... if it was, Okay, but by that logic... But that logic is... The, nowhere it says about the timing. The instantaneous has nothing to do with anything. Because, like, okay, if, if you get stabbed by two knives at the same time, is that one concentration check or two? I... It
1: says simultaneously, so what I'm thinking is you have an amount of damage equal to the one roll of the d4 plus whatever your modifiers are uh, per dart, and you just divvy up the darts, and then they just hit, and then everyone who got hit has to make a concentration check. That's how I see it as it's written, because of the way that it's worded, but if my DM tells me, well, we're rolling independently for each dart, we're not using that simultaneous stuff, then magic missiles a lot less good but
0: that's the way that they're ruling it you know we're rolling for each well I guess it's that good would make, it, that would make it much better
1: if you're trying to if you're trying to break <laughs> someone's uh, concentration but if you're trying to get more damage because you're an evocationist then it's not as good
0: oh because you're no if you're an evocationist right mm-hmm. each time you roll the damage you add no I would imagine it's one damage roll so
1: you either roll one once, damage roll per, and that's every dart or you roll yeah. it for each dart and you can only do it to one dart, so it's it's like a trade off, right so if you're doing higher damage, that also means that you're only doing one roll, so it's one source, so only one concentration shot yeah.
0: but no for sure yeah. I would say I would say I would say magic missile as a concentration breaker is way more powerful than it just do well, depends how many how many bolts. But yeah, yeah, I suppose that's it. Anyway, that's my (laughs) point is like, this is actually this and magic missile is a clearly worded spell, right? Like it's not, it's not that vague and it's pretty simple. So I'm, I think there might be, I do think there's some sage advice on this, but there's also a lot of, a lot of people who are like, "Mm, uh, who cares what they say uh, after the fact this is the book I have, and these are the words in it, you know. Right. Um, which, I don't know.
1: I mean, I mean this I honestly, is also fun. I like talking about this stuff, too, because, like, I've... So, I'm in this weird position where I play so much d and I've become mm-hmm. very, like attuned to 5e at least I've become very tuned to the rules I played a lot of different characters I basically never multi-class or I never not multi-class I'm always multi-classing because I get bored with one class and I like to see how different uh classes abilities interplay with each other like yeah a barbarian is great but a barbarian with action surge is even better (laughs) you know like there's a lot of cool things you can do by mixing and matching right
0: but that also oh, yeah, means definitely.
1: that I'm constantly thinking about what I'm allowed to do based on the rules. And a lot. it's almost I never am able to make a character without having to ask the DM like, okay, I have like three stipulations that I need your clearance on. Is this okay?
0: Is this okay? Is this okay?
1: If any one of these isn't yeah, okay, the I first... might play a different character.
0: <laughs> and the first stipulation is, is multiclassing allowed? Because it is very much an, an optional rule. Yeah, well, so feats,
1: but if if someone's like, no multi-classing, no feats, I'm not
0: playing. I'm not interested. That's too not boring at to me. Table. Yeah, too boring. I think for me, I a lot of times, depending on the types of players I'm playing with, multi-classing is something I, I don't always allow. Uh, feats are always in. Multi-classing is just a little bit too... It's just not something that has been examined mechanically enough Mm -hmm. when they're making... Especially when they're making all of these new classes, right? That's fair. Because there are these weird loopholes you can find where it's like, infinite spell slots! What? (laughs) Um, I'm sure you've heard of the coffee lock. Yeah,
1: yeah. The sorcerer warlock that just you transfer the packed magic into (laughs) sorcery points and then into spell slots.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is...
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, a DM would just say no, you can't do that. So They could. Yeah, that's what I would they could. that's what but I would. But if do. they
0: allowed if they if they allowed multiclassing, would they be wrong? I think yes, maybe. I what I would do what I would do probably in that situation is I would just start like, okay, well, yeah, you're not sleeping, so <laughs> we're eventually going to have to start making some exhaustion saves, buddy uh the, the 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 sleepiest warlock
1: <laughs> yeah well but then they added do you know they added that uh that invocation that says the warlock doesn't need to sleep anymore the the aspect of the moon or whatever
0: uh
1: huh yeah so if you've got that and you're not actually required to sleep rules is written it still works
0: <laughs> yeah but that's a that's another thing i don't I mean I'm sure that there are people out there who play rules as written, like for real. I've tried. I find it to be a useless ritual. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> this got
1: really serious, like the way that you're like thinking about what what you're gonna say before you see like uh no. Nah. No, no. Well
0: because because when you when you get really, really deep into rules as written, um Firstly it slows the game down a lot because there are a lot of specific rules for specific situations and I would say that someone like me I I'm not, I don't have like a great a good enough memory to run rules as written because mm-hmm. what I would have to do is constantly check the DMG for like oh okay wait how do the chase rules work again oh wait oh how does how do these two things interact Let's have a conversation about that. What does this mean in like, what does this mean in the context of blah? Because the whole game really is going to be edge case after edge case after edge case. And I find that the people I'm running for to, and I have like, really, I ran a rules as written game once and um, we we ran it for about, I think, four or five months And at the end of it, we were all very relieved when I was just like, "Okay, fuck it, we're (laughs) we're throwing like, let's just play regular five e where when there's an edge case, the DM goes, ah, sounds like a con save. Give me a con save, and then we'll see how it rolls out. Okay, oh, it's a thirteen. Yeah, okay. Instead of going like, okay, well, I've got to find this, you know." How yeah. many times can you dash in a chase scene, depending on your constitution or dexterity or whatever the, whatever the yeah, fuck? Yeah, yeah.
1: I guess um, I think that's valid. I think wanting to not have to always look back to the rules for every single thing makes a lot of sense, especially if, like, you've got other
0: stuff going on in your life. You don't have time to, like, yeah. memorize all this stuff. Like, that makes Definitely, sense. Definitely. Well, I think, yeah, I think a 5e is like a toolkit, like... It can be, again, I don't want to shame people for playing the game correctly, right? That's not my goal here. I think, you know, whatever it is that I think I was talking to uh, Jerry Holkins a while back in like an interview, and he was saying that everybody, I'm going to misquote him, but he was saying something along the lines of, uh, there's a door And on the other side of the door is this sort of like rich fiction that we interact with. And everybody's key to get through that door is slightly different. And for some people, those rules and those structures are the things that they need to sort of give them permission to engage in the fantasy, which I, which I agree with. I think it's, Um, you know, if that's what you need, then that's what you need. And then you need to find a group where that's what they need or where they are like willing to also, you know, go that, you know, go down that path with you. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, if somebody makes a rules error during your game and it makes a really big, significant change and it bugs you, you can just talk to them afterwards about it and be like, Hey, there is this set of rules. If you ever run into this situation again, I would never do that. But you could do that. Um, (laughs) I don't know. This theoretical group with this theoretical DM (laughs) that just takes fucking notes. That's something else. It's like people always say, like, talk to your talk to your group. That's how you sort it out. Uh, Yeah, sometimes. I think sometimes the way to sort out your group is to leave. Yeah um, that that that's been that's been my my consistent experience is just like you can talk to people about it but it's really hard to talk to somebody about it unless you're incredibly socially adept and give them notes on what it usually is a really big piece of their identity It's like how they run or how they yeah. um how they even how they you know play their characters if you go up to somebody and you're like I dislike <laughs> I don't even know how the fuck you would do it, honestly. I mean, I've tried before, and it just ends in sour taste in everybody's mouth. Yeah,
1: it's tough. It's Like, I think for me personally, I always defer to what the DM has in mind. And I try to always be very upfront about stuff. So, like, if I... Also, I mentioned before that I would never play a single class uh, person. That's i'm just saying i have preference for multi-classers if i if i was offered a really interesting premise for a game yeah. and that was the limitation i'd figure it out it'd be fine
0: um, yeah one but, of the one of the best dms that i've ever played under um phb only baby phb i mean yeah i could i we could figure out how to you're make that you're not allowed work. to do anything out of the extra books you just fucking fucking that go- i
1: could i could figure that out that would be fine yeah. i already have a, a character in mind Right now, right off the, yeah. g- out the gate, I could do it. I'd have a lot of fun with But But yeah. um, what I was going to say is, like, I always try to talk to the DM first and say, look, I have a combo between some things or whatever, and I, it might be pretty busted. And I'm running yeah. it by you now so that we don't have, like, an unpleasant surprise in the middle of the game where I, like, break everything that you had in mind. Sure. Here's what it is. You tell me if this is cool, if we need to nerf it, we need to change it yeah Uh, that's the way to do it sometimes it's fun to surprise everyone with this like really big brain play uh especially if you're playing like a very comedic game if you're if it's a comedic game generally like it's rule of cool all the way people will do stuff that doesn't really follow what's in the book and that's okay um if you're playing grimdark fantasy where anyone could die any moment
0: like sometimes by the the way oh sorry go ahead oh sorry by the way, I just said, oh, no, and it wasn't in reference to what happened to you. I lost connection. <laughs> it's fine. Um, we're almost done, I think, too. Okay, yeah. yeah. Dearest Internet, if we interrupt each other, it is because we cannot hear each other. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: and also, the cool thing about having our separate tracks is, like, if I'm cutting you off, you're cutting me off. I can just, like, cut and just move. So we're never interrupting each other. Yeah. It's kind of nice to do that.
0: Um, that's true. Yeah. I like to, I like to do that and make myself look less rude. Uh (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. I, I went back and edited some of the, and I probably did it this, this recording too, but I, I went back and, and when I was, when I was, uh, recording an interview with Scott Kurtz, the whole fucking interview, I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I want to confirm because in real social, you know, when I'm actually talking to somebody, that's my instinct mm-hmm. is to be like, I hear you and I like what you're putting down. But in a recording, the crosstalk of yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Is maddening. I, I keep it to a like a mm-hmm. totally
1: like every mm-hmm. now and again, because yeah. it, it reminds people that I'm here and I'm listening and I'm engaged. But like I can see how frequently like dropping those in can. I mean, like, what I I generally do, a little behind the curtain for people at home, is I'll take an audio track, I'll scrub out the uh, background noise, and then I'll go in between the big pauses. I'm doing it. Yeah, it's fine, it's okay. I'll go in between the big pauses, and if, like, uh, sometimes I'll just take, like, the whole pause between when someone's talking, and just... Turn the audio to zero, like in Audacity, just like flatten the curve, and so there's nothing. But if I see that they did say yeah or or whatever, I might leave one there just so that there's like a, like a, yeah, a solitary yeah to show that they're still engaged.
0: Like that's kind of my method and how I make it sound a little bit more flowy. That's a good method. I said yeah, if you got rid of them, I said yeah like four times during that explanation. It's so good that I mentioned that towards the end of this fucking interview because if it was towards the beginning, they could pick it up for the – anyway. Yeah, yeah, it's
1: fine. Um, We're we're pretty much getting there. Like, I've got a few more questions. You know what's great about this is I didn't even need to get through the very limited questions I prepared. It's been just easy to talk
0: with you and, like, just go on fun tangents here. Same. Well, I mean, you know, we've talked a a bunch before, so – uh We know each other, sort of. We na- we internet know each other. Yeah, internet. yeah, that's...
1: This is probably the first time I've talked to you face-to-face with, like, a cam or whatever. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been... You know, I was going to mention this. I almost forgot. I actually invited you on the podcast, like, last year. But oh. it was over Twitter, and you stopped using Twitter, and I didn't know that. So I, I oh. sent you a thing, and then I got no response, and I was like... Oh uh, well, I guess that's fine. Maybe he's busy. Uh. Oh
0: shit! Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, Twitter um, is poison. Yeah, no, I agree with that. <laughs> so I, I go, I do go and check it every now and then, but uh, it's like it's such a. I mean, it'll take me a while to get back to people on Twitter oh, usually, it's okay. unless it's like a day I released a video within the first fifteen minutes after it's gone out. I wasn't sure what had happened i was like he probably didn't see it
1: But what if he did mm, see it and i he didn't. just didn't want to respond like it wasn't worth this time and then eventually like no. we started talking in other channels and stuff and i'm like well if he did see it and then ignored me, he's being pretty cool right now. So I don't know. You probably just didn't see it. And then when I invited I you again, you were like, yeah, sure. I'm like, okay, he didn't see it.
0: <laughs> no, I didn't see it. No worries. I didn't see it at all. But
1: just for other people who are like maybe inviting other bigger people to your whatever things that you're doing, a lot of times we just don't see stuff. It's not that we're ignoring you. It happens. Don't it's get in true. your head about I, it.
0: I think I probably see... I probably see... About three percent of the stuff that's sent to me.
1: I, I can't imagine. Part
0: of that is just the sheer volume, and then the other part is that it's actually hard to find me on the internet because I'm only in a few places. Because the internet scares me. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just like it's just yeah. is a, it's just it's just like a a weird big machine that turns fear into money um and so (laughs) so so you know i you know i'm not i'm not i'm not that online that's fair
1: uh so i've got like three questions left okay but we don't have to go over all of them uh you can pick the one that interests you most i've got time sure we've got when did you start playing TTRPGs? Which I think you've already went over in another podcast about, like the old guard and like you learning how to play, and like that—that that was really cool. If you want to yeah. reiterate that, you can. The other question I have is, what's been your okay. favorite system so far? Which I think I know the answer to that too. Um, and then the last one is, do you dungeon master or play more often? And what kind of games are you in right now? <clears> hmm.
0: <throat> well. Well, well, well. Those are very good questions. I'm going to do the, I can do the easy one first, which is what's my favorite system? It's D&D 5e. I I wish I had some cool underground thing that I could reference. And I don't think that people should just play D&D. Like I'm, for sure, I think it's great to like try other TTRPGs, but every time I dive into another system, it's just not as crisp as 5e is usually even at the thing that it wants to do. Yeah. And either like 5e strikes a really good balance between having things be too specific and too narrative. Like um I'm trying to think of a good way to say this. Cuz there's like those powered by the apocalypse type systems which are really cool but they're really loose. Or like a game like uh, Robots and Hearts Lasers. Yeah, a lot of
1: roleplay-centric games like Fiasco and all those ones where it's like... It's mostly about the roleplay, and then you just roll dice to see what happens. Sure.
0: Yeah, exactly. Those, those, um, they don't have enough crunch to really keep me engaged. Mm -hmm. And then there's other systems like... um, I'm realizing that this is going to be the only question out of those three that I answer. I was like, this is a quick, easy one. But as soon as I say the word Shadowrun, then there's other systems like Shadowrun. Yeah. Which are... um,
1: Hey, you want to play math?
0: (laughs) Yeah. If you're a fan of Shadowrun, that's cool. And I'm sure you're very cool. I am not a fan of that system, because it doesn't have a consistent design philosophy, as far as I can tell. Yeah, at least Shadowrun. I think it was fifth edition that I played. It might have been fourth or sixth is the new one. It's the one before the new one. Um, there was also Shadowrun, like a Shadowrun Light or something. It was like Shadowrun Apocalypse or Shadowrun something. I don't know. It was Shadowrun other word, and it yeah. was more roleplay heavy. And I looked into that and I felt like they went too far in the other direction where they were just like, what are rules? What's even what is a GM? You know, we all share the story and everybody sets their own scenes and we do it together. And I, uh, you know, I've just been around the old version of role playing games for so long that I find Games where people, where the players also like totally set scenes and become the DMs of their own scenes, um, unruly and weird. I I, like, it's not that they're bad. I just don't know how the fuck to run that game. You've got to have a really good group dynamic
1: that understands each other and has good chemistry already set in place in order to make something like that work. If it's like people on. Roll twenty, like that's not gonna, it's not gonna work out.
0: That's true. I mean, that might also be because I, I mostly play online, um, and and have even before, um, I don't even want to say it before, before, so um, times, yeah, (laughs) um, five e Shadowrun, yeah, five e Shadowruns, just not, just not the system for you. I get that. Mm-mm. Yeah, I've gone on this rant so many times in so many different. I remember this. I, I
1: remember you talked about this in another. Uh, I don't remember which tongue. one. It might have been with Jacob. It might have been with uh, yeah. when when it was like you, Dingo, and Puff, and I can't remember. But
0: yeah, I was very disappointed by that system <laughs> and really heartbroken, honestly. Where I was like, this seems so cool. I'm like the yeah, cool art. It looks cool. Yeah, I mean, it looks so cool. And it had the Matrix in it before the Matrix movies. Yeah, it's, I... it's cool. It's, <laughs> such a, it's such a cool world. The, game, the video games are amazing. Shadowrun Returns. And Shadowrun Hong Kong is like one of my favorite games of all time. Oh, cool. I didn't know they even had video games for that. Yeah, they were made by uh, Harebrain Studios, which uh, made two Shadowrun games and a mech game, and then I think got eaten by another company okay um the the mech game was uh was a robotech game i think okay all right but then it's robotech i would have to check my
1: steam library yeah i i don't know the only mech game that i i know of that i've liked is armored core but for like ps2 like way back in the day i played it was like this is so cool i don't know how much more advanced it's gotten since then
0: um Sorry, I I have to figure out what the fuck this game was called. BattleTech. BattleTech. Okay. There we go. Yeah, but uh uh oh, well, okay. So uh Armored Core was amazing. Um I played uh Master of the Arena so much. That's all.
1: All right. Uh last question. <laughs> I was like
0: I was like could I lead us to a dead end here and I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, anything's a dead end if you just stop playing. If you're like, that's, I, uh, I also weird. played Armored Core. I'm going to give this motherfucker nothing. I, I've
1: literally only played the one on PS2, and I just it was someone else's game for like a weekend. I was like,
0: this is cool, and that's all I know. That's the one. I think, well, uh, our, uh, Master of the Arena was, was, I think, a PS1 or a PS2 game. It might have been that. Anyway, anyway. It, was, it was a good series. I always thought that um, it would be cool if they made a new game where they sort of showed what was going on behind the scenes. Like I would have loved, like animated human cutscenes yeah. in between. I think it would have been really cool. Yeah, but it, yeah. It's a it's a super fun game.
1: I uh, oh, man. Now I want I want to talk about like Code Geass, um, the anime where. It's it's like Mecca, but it's also like ma- like this fantasy magic, like alternate history timeline, and no, also like I don't know it slice of light like code Geass. um, kind of like the spell Geass, except with two S's. Um, okay. And the idea is, uh, the the main guy has this power before, like he was almost killed, and he was able to get this power where he can like command you to do something, even if it's to kill yourself, like. And it's, oh, you okay. cannot, you cannot not do it. And he uses this to try yeah. to like take over the world. It's very cool. Um, yeah. So I feel like it would take. It's interesting. I mean, it's, it's not yeah. the best. There's some tropes in there. I wish they didn't have, but it's very, it's got a little bit of everything in there. And the, the Mecca yeah. design. I guess they probably, really cool. they don't have,
0: yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> I guess they don't have sniper rifles in that universe. Uh, they <laughs> do. Uh, oh, <laughs> but, uh, I'm not, yeah, I, do you have to hear him? Yes, he
1: wears a helmet okay. that covers his face oh. and eyes and, and protects his head, and usually he's inside okay. of a mech that's also protecting him, and then he'll pop out of the mech, yes. the the helmet will open up his eye, and then he'll give you a command, and then like, ah. Uh, that sounds
0: cool. Yeah. Anyway, do you DM, or do you play more often, and what games are you in right now? I, I DM more. I actually am not in any games right now, but that's an unusual circumstance. Mm. Because like last week we just we just ended a oh like one one game and then we're not ended it but just did that thing where we're like okay we've been meeting regularly for three years <laughs> it would be nice to have Sunday nights for a little bit <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah but uh, I mostly play D and D five e in uh, a for, okay so. I don't know. I don't know how to broach the subject of, well, in a, in a 3D virtual tabletop. I won't. I I won't say more than that because they are they're a sponsor of mine. So yeah, sort if of you want to know, everyone, go bit. check
1: out Z's channel,
0: and you'll find out pretty quickly <laughs> yeah. what uh, his sponsor is. You could possibly do that. Um, and they are, you know, they're a paid sponsor of mine. So you you know you can't trust me at all because <laughs> I'm being you know I don't know I don't know what that is like for me. I, I I really like them, but I guess yeah, it is good that everybody discloses stuff. Back in the day back in back in the day i remember people didn't have to disclose that they were getting fucking money from these sponsors yeah. and they were just talking about it like it's the coolest ever and they eventually like they finally it took years for them to get into trouble and they only really got into trouble because of those, like, those weird Counter-Strike fucking gambling sites. Yeah, I remember that when that was a thing. When, when yeah, then, like, it turned out that a bunch of YouTubers, like, owned them and stuff. Yeah, or they were getting some big cutback on referring their audience members to the site. Yeah. Not good. Yeah, and, like, and like showing fake winnings and stuff. But, yeah, anyways, don't gamble. <laughs> it's probably—that would be—just in general, that's probably good advice unless it's within a fantasy universe and you don't pay real money <laughs> then it's fine. play dragon card three card Anti or whatever the fuck came with your sage background or or what is it charlatan yeah i uh
1: i think it's it's a little too easy to to get sucked into that type of stuff and anything can be gambling especially like trading card games that's my vice uh, i i i have not bought packs in a long time,
0: but... The inventors of the loot crate.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I still sometimes really? buy singles because I still have my Magic the Gathering deck, so I still sometimes want to spruce them up with new cards and things like that. But that's still yeah. money, like... Uh, it is. Yeah, just be, be wary. Don't don't spend all your money on cardboard. But yeah, I mean, I think we're, we're getting to the end here. Uh, yeah. Could you... Please kindly share with everyone where they can find you.
0: Type Z E E space D N D and you'll you'll find me. Yep. And, and type that into YouTube, which I assume you're on right now. And probably I'll be in the channel description. Would be my guess. I don't know. Or in the video description. In the doobly-doo, as they like to call the it. The doobly-doo, yeah. Go, go check out Z on YouTube. Also, you have a Twitch channel, too, don't you? I do. It's sort of a secret Twitch channel, Ooh. um, in that I think the conversion of my YouTube audience is like .1 fucking percent. It, like, about 20 people come and we, we hang out and have a... Did <laughs> I just blow <laughs> have, this, have uh, wide open here by accident? i mean the fact that people now know that there's not going to be a lot of people there might attract more people because it's fun to come to like a smaller stream and talk with a creator you're interested in but um Um, but cool man yeah this was fun yeah it was a good interview thanks a lot yeah
1: this has been great thank you for coming on and uh we'll have to talk again soon Mm,
0: okay cool